Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Guys, I just got fantastic news. It turns out that the one and only Bash Hallow will be joining me and Stephanie Goss and about a dozen other presenters at the Uncharted Staff Drama Conference in August. We'll be in Kansas City. It is going to be a fantastic event. It's not like anything else in vet medicine. If you want to talk teams, if you want to talk about developing your staff, your personnel, you want to talk about training, you want to talk about HR, you want to talk about recruiting, you want to talk about finding staff that work well with your clients, if you want to talk about picking out and training clients to work well with your staff, that's right. That's a thing that you can do. We'll be talking about that and a million other subjects at Uncharted Staff Drama. It is in August in Kansas City. Head over to unchartedvet.com and check it out. There's only about 150 spots total. We are quickly filling up. You need to get on this in the next, probably next couple of weeks, and then it will be done. And we have sold out every event that we have done. I think this is probably going to be no different. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be awesome. So, I'll put a pin in that for right now, and let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. We're back! It's me and practice management goddess. <laughs> what? Stephanie, all in love is fair goss. Hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, man. All right. What are we doing today, Steph? Well, I'm kind of excited about this one, Andy. We um, we had some feedback through the Uncharted uh, podcast email, which is super exciting. And we got a note uh, from one of our listeners, and she was talking about how she had been listening um, to a, um advice line about uh, – a situation where a doctor, and I'm I'm don't know if it's a human doctor or a veterinary doctor, but a doctor was always late, and how the manager should manage that situation. Um, and a lot of the conversation on the advice line, it sounded like, was a consensus that there seems to be this acceptable standard that doctors can be late and techs or nurses cannot. And um, this listener was saying that she felt like that was crazy, that there's a huge double standard when doctors are allowed to be late and the tech team or the support staff are not. And you and I both found this very interesting, I think, because it's something that we see a lot in veterinary medicine. And so when you and I were talking this through, we we both were wondering, is it okay for our doctors and our veterinarians not to follow the little rules? And then if it is okay what do you do about it? How do you manage that situation? Right? Right. So let's, let's go ahead and call out some examples of doctors not following the little rules. Okay. And that's an easy one to start off with is what you said. Um, the technicians have to be there at a designated time and the doctors can stroll in after the designated time and nobody says anything. Yeah. That's, that's a very common one. Yep. What else you got? Um, I think I've seen in a lot of practices where there's rules about things like uh, no cell phones on the floor and the support staff will get nailed if they're on their phone, but the doctor can stand there and pull out their phone and be like, oh, guys, look at what I saw on Facebook last night. Uh, And nobody bats an eyelash at that. 
Yeah, I see that one. I see coming back uh, late from lunch mm-hmm. where the support staff has a firm deadline to be back and the doctors not so much. I see I see changes to hospital policies like, and we've all seen this, where you say to the technicians, we do not refill heartworm pre- preventative without a heartworm test. Don't you do it. And the front desk is fighting valiantly with this owner who's like, I don't want to do the test. I just want to have the stuff. And they're like, I'm sorry. That's our hospital policy that you can't do. You just, I'm sorry. There's a good reason. And I'll tell you again what the reason is. And this is the fourth time that I'm telling you what the reason is. And like, I don't want to hear the reason again. Give me the stuff. I want to talk to the doctor. And they say, all right, well, I will tell you, I will transfer you to the doctor. And he will say exactly what I have said. Here mm-hmm. you go. And the doctor comes on and goes, hello. Oh, you don't want to do the test? Okay. No, just come on in. No, it's fine. No, don't. Yeah. Look, no big deal. Just come and get the medicine. And the front <laughs> desk, like their head just explodes. Yes. Yes. And and I think I think uh, we probably have some listeners' heads who are exploding right now because I hallucinate that they live on the same planet I do where it happens all the time. And it seems like there are separate standards of rules for the doctors and the support staffers. And I guess, um, you know, in, in thinking about it and talking through it, you and I were talking about is it, is it okay? Is it, are there circumstances where it is okay for there to be um, different rules for, for the different classes of employee, if you will? And um, if it's not, how do we, how do we manage that? Okay. All right. So this, so let me be upfront about what we're going to talk about here. Um, I am not going to tell you the fairy tale. (laughs) I am going to, talk to you in the dirty truth of our profession. Um, and so it is super easy for me to tell you, no, this is not fair and it shouldn't be allowed. I don't think that that's helpful to our listeners in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. I think we need to wade into the gray area here and mm-hmm. we need to talk about what should be. And then we'll talk about what generally is. And then we'll talk about how to go forward in reality. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. So let's talk about what should be. How are your feelings in general about, um, well, so you asked a little bit different question. You said, do you treat different classes in the practice or different jobs in the practice differently? Are there different rules for them? Yeah. And so do you feel like sometimes the doctors have different rules than the technicians and is that okay? So let's start with that. Yeah. I mean, I, a perfect example for me is, um, you know, I, I am working on writing policies and procedures for my practice and, um, we just were working on our cell phone policy. And so I, I wrote the policy and it was like, you know, no, no cell phones on the floor and we're, we're really struggling with this one. And it's not that anybody is, um, is being malicious, but, um, we're not in a place culturally where there is um, a lot of responsibility from the team as a whole in terms of where cell phones are being used. And I feel really strongly about keeping them out of view of clients. And so we've been working on the policy and I wrote the thing and the team, we all talked about it. And then the doctors were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We use our phones to look at thin and we use our phones to look up drug doses and we want to be able to have our phones. And so um, after a lot of, you know, 
discussion and um, battling, what wound up happening is we rewrote the policy and there is one set of rules for the doctors and there's another set of rules for the team. And, um, you know, it, it was a struggle for me in terms of how do I pick this to be a battle? Do I pick this to be one that I sit out? I, I have strong personal feelings, but I'm also looking at the culture and I'm looking at the people and weighing all of those things. And I think what you said is very true. Like, we're not going to BS you guys and tell you that this is an easy decision because I think it's something that we all struggle with because I think it is a reality that's happening every day in our in our practices to some degree. Right. I, yes. So part of how you deal with this also comes down a lot to personality type. Mm-hmm. And it really depends. It's funny how, how some people can, can accept things like this and some people cannot. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to tell you like, oh, you should be able to accept this. For some people who are, who are process people, and mm-hmm. we talk a lot about process people and um, and creative people, but process people, they want a system. Mm-hmm. They want to know what the rules are, and they mm-hmm. want to have the rules applied uniformly across uh, across everyone who's there. Yeah. And that's not bad and that, and you know it, and it's generally good. There are times when it can be hard for the reasons that we just said when you say, oh my God, you know there should be rules and, and there should be a process. Um, if that process can exist or if there has to be some flexibility, it can be hard on those people. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is, is how accepting of these things are you? And that's a, that's a personal struggle. So just think if you're the person who says, I'm a process person, I want to know what's going to happen. I want to have a system. I want to have a checklist. I want to know what the rules are. I want everyone to follow the rules, not following the rules should not be an option. And mm-hmm. it's not something that should ever happen. Mm-hmm. If that's how you feel, that's your your sort of personal philosophy, just recognize that other people maybe don't feel that way or don't operate that way. And it's not mm-hmm. bad or good. It just is. Mm-hmm. So so I think that those people struggle a lot with this. What I go back to as far as do different people in the practice have different rules based on their jobs? Mm-hmm. I don't believe that you have to treat everyone in the practice the same. Mm-hmm. I think you have to treat everyone in the practice fairly. Mm-hmm. And so what that looks like sometimes is to say the technicians may not be allowed to have their phone in their pocket, but the doctors are allowed to have their phone in their pocket. Why? Because they're doctors. Does that mean that the doctors don't have to follow the rules that are laid down? No. Right. That's unfair. If there are rules and the doctors ignore them and the techs don't get to ignore them, that is not fair. That is right. not treating people fairly. If the rule is the doctor can have their phone in their pocket, they are not allowed to be on their phone in the treatment room, then the doctor can have their phone in their pocket and um, and, and use it, but mm-hmm. they cannot have it in the treatment room. And so mm-hmm. the rules as laid out are different for doctors and technicians, which makes sense because they have different jobs, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I they think- have to be applied uh, fairly. And I think that that's where a lot of people struggle to, um, to manage this and to, to put it into the real world and, and deal with it. Because, um, I think that it, it is very hard to have, um, the rules be applied differently because I think what, 
what we're talking about from a management perspective, we are talking about the little things. And so when I put on my manager hat and I'm looking at it from, you know, an 80,000 foot view and I'm looking down at my practice, if I have an awesome veterinarian who's fantastic with clients and they're there, they do the job, they get their charts done, they take care of their clients, they have great customer service. If all of those other things are happening and I have some challenges with some of the little rules, do I, do I care? And, and that sounds awful, but, but what I mean by do I care is, am I going to fire someone who is um, meeting beat or beating all of my standards because they're breaking a little rule? And I guess that's where I have to ask myself that question in terms of fairness and look at it in the sense of would I fire a veterinarian that feels like it has a different weight than the question of would I fire a support staffer? And I think for a lot of managers that in and of itself feels unfair, but it is a, it is a truth. It is exceptionally harder to hire a veterinarian and to find the right fit for my culture and my team and my practice than it is to find a new receptionist or a new veterinary assistant. And so I think when we're talking about the the real world application here, I think that those are the kind of questions that a lot of managers are grappling with when they're making the decision about how are the rules being applied. And so it, it very much is not um, black and white. It is very much a field of gray. And I think that that's why we struggle with it so much. So, so this is a subtle shift from what we talked about just a moment ago. So people, different people in the practice having different rules. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, uh, I'm not able or allowed to go into the manager's office and get on the computer and get in our practice management software and look at all the practice financials and mm-hmm. see what the net profit of the hospital was. And so I, I'm just, I'm not allowed. Why? Because it's not my job and there's no reason for me as a doctor to be in there dealing. I'm not allowed to go and change the prices in our practice. Let, let's okay. just say. Right? Okay. Like, and it makes sense why I wouldn't be allowed to do that because mm-hmm. that's not in the purview of my job and, sure. uh, and the rules obviously are going to apply to me in part because of what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay. So having different rules is one thing, having rules and allowing certain people to break them, that's different. Right. Okay. And mm-hmm. so saying to the doctors, you can have your cell phone in your pocket, but you can't have it in the treatment room. That's one thing. And if they have the cell phone in their pocket, then that's not breaking the rules and that's fine because we mm-hmm. decided that was fine. Mm-hmm. If they continue to use it in the treatment room and have it out in the treatment room, then that should not be fine because that's mm-hmm. breaking these the rules. small rules. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about why this happens. And I think that you just laid that down beautifully. I think... Uh, I think that I've said this a million times, but it's it's true for me. I believe two things about people. I believe that they are innately good. Mm-hmm. I choose to believe people are innately good. And I mm-hmm. um it makes the world better if you hold on to that. I believe more so they're innately self-centered. Mm-hmm. And so I think people think about themselves. And I think that's natural selection. That's evolution at play. We got sure. here by taking care of number one and passing our genes on to the next generation. And that's that's ingrained in in who we are as a species. So I, I don't think that people are being malicious. 
I think that they are generally self-interested. And a lot of times it comes down to exactly what you talked about. I think at some level, I think, I think two things happen. I think at some level doctors know I'm a good doctor. I get along well with the staff. The clients love me. It's real hard to find doctors right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And so if I show up five minutes, 10 minutes late for my shift, probably nothing really severe is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not, so say that you're the manager and I'm the, and I'm the associate vet. I, at some level, and again, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I think at some level we, we know these things. Mm-hmm. This is not the hill that you want to die on, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is fighting with me about being five minutes late when nobody really seems to care uh, otherwise. And you go, this is not worth the effort for her to come and do battle with me over this. And so she's not going to say anything and I'm just going to, you know, and I'm just going to kind of do what I want to do because there's Mm -hmm. not going to be serious consequences. We know Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. So I think that in our, in our selfish core, I think that those thoughts do pop up, even if we squash them down. Sure. I I think the other thing that happens is I think a lot of us convince ourselves that it's not a big deal. Nobody said anything. Right. And so nobody really cares and nobody really notices. They do notice, but we right. tell ourselves that they don't. And we tell ourselves it's okay. And we tell ourselves that everybody's cool and nobody thinks twice about it. And I think that that's just us. That's, that's, that's our, that's our get out of jail free self-talk. You know, that's sure. the one where we go, nobody really, everybody knows me. They mm-hmm. know I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. And so we tell ourselves what we need to hear in order to feel good about the choices that we make. So those are the two things, those are the two things that, that happen. So that's how we get into this situation of we have people who they, they don't follow the little rules. These are not big rules. These are little rules. A lot of times we even get positive reinforcement for, for not following the little rules. So in the case of, I'm not going to follow the clinic wellness protocol Mm -hmm. when the clinic, when the client's like, I don't want to do the heartworm test. And I go, you know what? Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. The, cl- the client's going to go, oh, thank you. You are such a great veterinarian. Right. I, I, you're this the best. And now I'm getting positive reinforcement right. for breaking the rule. And the right. technician's not going to call me out. And so I'm not getting the negative reinforcement. I'm only getting the, the you know, my pillow's fluffed. And so am I going to do it again? Well, of course I am. <clears throat> and so I, I think that that's why this happens. Now, so let's talk about what should happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. There, um, let's talk about inequality just for a minute. And <clears throat> it's really interesting when there's a great book called uh, the broken ladder, which is all about inequality and how it affects people psychologically. Mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating. So, so it, this looks at, at cultures and civilizations. <clears throat> I think a lot of times that we look at people who are say, say they're poor, say, say we're talking about poverty. And I mean like real poverty out in the world. Right. And we go, Oh my God, that would be terrible to be, to be, to be impoverished or live in this, in this impoverished nation. What the research really shows is that it's not so much being in a poor nation it, as it is feeling like you're in a poor nation. And so what I mean is this, um, if you, if you live in an area of, of poverty, and everyone around you is living in the same circumstances. You don't think all that much about, about your impoverished state. This right. is just what it is. Right. And honestly, you, those people tend to be much happier 
than people who, who have the same amount, right? There's same level of poverty, mm-hmm. but they're surrounded by skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and BMWs are rolling past mm-hmm. because then you're reminded all the time of how crappy this is. Right. My, my father grew up in rural North Carolina, right? Appalachian mountains. And you talk about poverty. Mm-hmm. My dad grew up in poverty. Mm-hmm. And we talked one time and he told me about how he loved to go to the movie theaters for a while. So he would go in into Boone, North Carolina, and he would go to the movie theater and he loved it. And he would see all these, you know, Hollywood actors and the glamour and the Ritz, mm-hmm. but he stopped going after a while because he just felt like crap every time he came out. Mm-hmm. So when he comes out of the theater and he looks around, you know, the one horse town that he's in and just doesn't see opportunity and he doesn't see any of these things, it, it, it made him feel so bad sure. that he stopped going. And so why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because that's how inequality feels. Mm-hmm. When you're 16 years old and you say your parents give you a, a used moped when you turn 16, how you feel about that depends on what you see around you. Right. If, if your friends get nothing and you're the only person who's got wheels, oh, buddy. You're, you know what I mean? You're at the top. Like this right. is high status stuff. Like you are right. rolling. And if you look around and uh, all your friends got BMWs and mm-hmm. you're on a used moped, all of a sudden you feel so beat down. But mm-hmm. the outcome is the same. You still got the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. That, that status, that, that's inequality in the way that it hits you in the, in the brain. Carry that over to what we see in the practices, right? Mm-hmm. If the technicians are being held to a standard and everybody's being held to that standard. Nobody thinks about it. If the technicians feel like they're being held to a standard and the doctors get held to a different standard, they get to do what they want. All of a sudden the unfairness mm-hmm. washes over them. Mm-hmm. If everybody's allowed to kind of cut corners and not really follow the rules and we're all generally pretty lax, nobody gets upset. But it's that difference. It's that inequality. The fact that I have to do this and you don't have to do that. Yeah. And it's not so much again about we don't have the same job, right? But it's I have to follow the rules and you don't have to follow the rules. That's the unfairness. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say even to the doctors is if you want to have a good culture, you need to understand that inequality is, is toxic. And people are super aware of it right now in our society. Like we're looking for inequality in our society, income inequality, societal inequality, things like that. So, so people, people are, are noticing these things. You ignore that at, at your own peril. Mm-hmm. If you want a good culture, then everybody follows the rules and everybody supports each other. And what I'm really talking about is movement. And I think this is happening in our society. I think it's happening in vet medicine for sure. Um, we're moving more towards flat hospitals, mm-hmm. which means, you know, we are all in this together. We are all a team. Everybody mm-hmm. has their role. You watch my back. I watch your back. I'm not better than you. I just do a different job. Right. You're not better than me. You just do a different job. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that if you want to build a good culture, I think that there's a lot, a lot of benefits to that. So that's what should be. Mm-hmm. We we can have different rules for different people, but everybody should be treated fairly. If you don't want the technicians to break the rules or break the little rules, then you as a doctor can't be breaking the rules or breaking the little rules. If you don't want the techs to call you at home on your day off when they're not supposed to, then don't throw them under the bus 
when, uh, you know, when a client wants you to change the rules and they have stood up for hospital policy, right. you know, it, it's the door swings both ways. So that's what should happen mm-hmm. is nobody should break the rules. Everybody should be held accountable. Everybody should do what they're supposed to do. That's mm-hmm. what should happen. Do you agree with all that? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that the should, if we're defining the should, I think that, um, I think that in order to have a successful team that we should be moving away from the top down model where the practice owner does whatever they want and everybody else has a different set of rules to follow and into the model where everybody is working as a team and successful teams function when there is no I, when, when everybody is working together and the rules apply the same to everybody. I think the should and the actuality is where everybody struggles that I know it's where I struggle as a manager. Yeah. How, how do we, how do we get from, from, cause I agree, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And at the same time, when I'm in the practice and I am, I'm in the real world environment, do I always apply? apply those things the same I I don't I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna bullshit you guys like there there are times where just like I said I look at it and go am am I going to lose a veterinarian over this and and I have chosen to say no and I have chosen to look the other way for some of those small rules and for me it's about for me, it's about picking the battles. Like you said, is this, is this the hill I'm going to die on today? Um, it's about picking the ones that feel the like they have the most importance either to the culture and my team and or to the clients. So the ones that I choose, the battles that I choose to fight as a manager, right or wrong, I don't, I don't know if this makes me a, a great manager or a really crappy one. But I think the things that I look at are, is it is it affecting clients? And for me, the the example you gave in terms of the client getting on the phone and, you know, the CSR is telling her one thing and then the CSR passes it on to the tech and the tech tells her the exact same thing. Like, we have these standards. There's a reason. I'm going to give you all the reasons. I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to educate the crap out of you. And at the end of the day, they're still like, no, I don't want to do the heartworm test. Then when the doctor gets on the phone and submarines them, that to me, that's a battle that I will fight all day long because it affects the client service and it affects the patient care. And so those are the ones where I tend to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, this is a thing. This is happening. And start those conversations, both one-on-one with the the associates, but um, also talking about it as a team as a whole. Like, why do we have this standard? Why did we decide that this is important to us? And if it really is important to us, then it has to be important to everybody and everybody has to be willing to support this. Those conversations feel a lot easier um, when it comes to looking at it from a client or patient care perspective. Um, And so those tend to be the ones that I feel comfortable and confident saying, I I could die on this hill today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You, you are a great manager and your instincts serve you well. And so let's talk about what really happens. And I think you just, you just explained it. This is what happens. So the doctors are good people and they're self-centered. And when I say the doctors, I mean me, 
I mean me. Like you're talking to a guy who totally has rolled in a couple of minutes late <laughs> and probably way more than I should. I know way more than I should. And I have some guilt about it. So, mm-hmm. but I'm just being honest. Like, again, I told you guys, I'm not going to jerk you around. I've totally mm-hmm. done this. Um, so, so what happens? What happens is Dr. Work comes rolling into the clinic and he's 10 minutes late. And so what that means though, is the technicians have been there on time and they've been taking in the cases, uh, mm-hmm. surgical cases. And now appointments start at eight 30 and my wonderful technicians have gone ahead and they have taken the eight 30 appointment back who hopefully mm-hmm. was on time, but uh, they've taken the 8.30 appointment back and they are getting the history pulled together and they're getting vaccines pulled up and they're getting the heart room test and they're getting the fecal float set up. And so the appointment is rolling along very nicely. Mm-hmm. And I walk in at 8.41, 8.42 and they turn to me and go, hey, Dr. Rourke, we're ready for you now. And I go, perfect. And then I, wa- I saw sh- sachet as I do. <laughs> into the exam room and I say, good morning. And they say, Dr. Rock, it's great to see you. And my day is wonderful, right? I am completely unaware of a, the little fleck of resentment that my texts feel about mm-hmm. that guy just sauntered in 12 minutes late with Starbucks in his hand. Mm-hmm. And like, I, no one says it to me. No one calls me out on it because, mm-hmm. you know, this mm-hmm. it's for a lot of reasons, the politics, the personal stuff. People don't want conflict. And the other thing is because of what you said, too, is you can't put your finger on why this is a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, client's happy. The appointments I'm running on schedule. It's real hard for you to put your finger on why this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Same thing when I change the wellness protocol. Then I'm like, yeah, you know what? Just come and get the box. That's fine. It's real hard. I mean, the client's happy. We sold a box of, you know, of heartworm prevention. Like mm-hmm. it's real hard to, to, to decide this is worth dying for, right? Mm-hmm. This is worth taking off a vet the clients like and who generally teaches, treats the staff well. Mm-hmm. And this is worth having, a, you know, having a fight with Rourke. And so, so that's what tends to happen. The other thing that tends to happen is when we get into this kind of bending the rules a little bit and changing the rules a little bit. We do have, we have, a, we have a bit of an ego culture in vet medicine, mm-hmm. right? And the doctors still hold on to this idea that, um, we are doctors. We wear white mm-hmm. coats. We do veterinary medical school clients look up to us. We are the authority and we see ourselves as the stars of the show. And I've, I've heard that said as far as when people who aren't from vet medicine, get involved in veterinary business. This is a thing that really messes them up, right? Mm-hmm. Because they, they don't understand the culture. So what happens is they come into vet medicine and they're like, aha, well, we'll just make protocols and we will tell the doctors what to do and the doctors will do it. And I, I just, <laughs> I can't, I think to them, you think that doctors are like accountants where you're going to come in and just give them the rules and they're going to do it. Doctors are not like accountants. Doctors are like fighter pilots. They have egos and they think highly of themselves and they believe that they can take the fates into their hands and, and, and dictate the outcome Mm -hmm. and their skill is what matters and they get the job done. Nothing else. Like they're very like the highway to the danger zone should be playing in your head right now. That's who we're talking about. And you see that a little bit. There's that, it's that ego. And so there is some of that. There's also, there's also my point is, this happens a little bit because of ego. It happens a little bit because nobody calls them out on it. Um, mm-hmm. And 
and it happens a little bit because of their self-identity is, hey, I'm I'm a doctor. Mm-hmm. I've always seen myself as a doctor. I've always seen this as sort of a high status job. Mm-hmm. I I see I see I want to reassert my importance, the fact that I I am an important person, which means I can stroll in 10 minutes late. And that's even in a subconscious way, that's me sort of saying, I'm special. Right. And so again, I, I, I'm, I, this is a center telling, telling the sermon, right? And like, again, I'm not trying to put other people down. This is, this is me. If you could look at my gears as they run, I'm sure I've had all of these thoughts and all these feelings. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's what happens and they come in. I think that you do what most everybody does, which is the obvious thing is you do a quick cost benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. What is the benefit of confronting Rourke about rolling in late? Mm-hmm. What's the benefit about him changing the wellness protocol and me fighting him on it? And you mm-hmm. decide that it's not worth it, mm-hmm. right? This is not a hill worth dying. And you do the benefit math and I do the benefit math. And I'm like, she's not going to fight me on this. Mm-hmm. It's it, Which is why I do it because I'm like, nobody's going to say anything. <laughs> and, and so that's how this situation comes to be. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what, what do we go from here? Okay. Mm-hmm. So where do we go from here? So the first thing is to do, I, we need to flip our mindset. And so what happens is the math that I just laid out, that's not the right math in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So what happens is every day I come in late and every day you go, is it worth thanking the morning to have this heated conversation with Rourke mm-hmm. and call him out? And every day you say no. But here's the thing. If you flip the problem in your mind and you say, Dr. Rourke is breaking the rules. He breaks them three times a day, every day. And there's no indication that he's going to stop. Right. Now, is that conversation worth having? Right. Exactly. So that's, that's the flip that has to happen. Because when you yeah. look at individual instances like this, it's not worth the battle. Like, let's right. just be honest. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth ticking the doctor off. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's a minor thing. So... Mm-hmm. There's, there's a couple different approaches. Like I said, number one is you can start to, to flip it. If this is going on, it's been going on for, for some time. Mm-hmm. Look at it holistically. What are we really talking about? We're talking about someone who is not – we're talking about someone who has a pattern of behavior mm-hmm. that is not getting better. And if anything, it's mm-hmm. getting worse. Mm-hmm. And we need to talk about this before it gets to a head. And so mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk to you about coming in late today. I'm going to talk to you about a series of not following hospital protocols. Right. 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 So I think that that's part of the flip to make. The other thing is if you start looking at this um, and you start looking at it early, I don't want this pattern to establish itself. And I think one of the things that we really wrestle with as, as managers and as leaders and even as associate vets working with staff and as head technicians, right, is the soft nudge. You know, what happens a lot of times is nobody says anything when I come in late for, you know, I'm 10 minutes late. And so I come in 11 minutes late and it's called mm-hmm. shifting baseline, you know, and, you know, and, and suddenly 10 minutes is not late anymore. 10 minutes is on time. Right. 13 minutes is late. And then that becomes like, oh, you know, it's less than 15 minutes after. So that's shifting baseline. Right. We need to, the best thing is catch it up front and just, you say something, right? And this is a skill that people should master. And you've heard me talk about this a million times. It's, it's the mention. 
It's if somebody said to me, if my boss said to me, Hey Andy, what happened this morning? I saw you a couple minutes late. That's all he'd have to say. And I would go, Oh, you saw you oh, you saw that. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was noticed. Mm-hmm. And the truth is I would correct my behavior because I don't like conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't it's not, I don't want to tick my boss off. It's mm-hmm. not worth it to me to feel like my boss is not happy with me right. because I'm five minutes late. Like I will get on the road if I know this is noticed, but no one's ever said, Hey Andy, mm-hmm. saw you're five minutes late today. What did you, what happened? No one ever says that. And so I my assumption is everybody loves me and mm-hmm. nobody notices. Right. Right. So, so that mention is important. It's, 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 it's not the come to Jesus talk. And a lot of us, we don't say anything. We're like, if it gets bad, I'll say something. Right. That, so, so that's a mistake. So, and I think that that, what you just said is so important because I think a lot of times, um, particularly for, I see this a lot with my, um, introvert managers, but also with, um, managers who came up through the ranks. So my lead CSRs that have become managers or my head techs that have become managers, they look at it like there is do nothing and there is come to Jesus and there's nothing in between. (laughs) And, and they really struggle with like, okay, is this really bad enough to have the come to Jesus? And 99 times out of 100, the answer is no. So there, there is nothing said. And I think that, that it is so important that people remember that one of the most powerful tools that you have in your leadership toolbox is the nudge. Like you said, is the ability to say, hey, what happened? And it's casual. It's not we're going to sit down and talk about this because it's a problem. It's heading off the problem before it actually begins. Um, and then if you do the nudge, and the problem continues and it becomes a pattern, then then it becomes a space where it is acceptable to have the conversation and say, hey, this is this is a bigger deal that like, you know, everybody's human. We have lives. Sometimes like you might murder your coworkers if you don't stop at Starbucks on the way to work and get some caffeine for the day, right? <laughs> let's, let's be real. I'm a far better person when I have been caffeinated before I walk in the door at the clinic. I get that. And I think we all get that. And I think, I think our teams get it too. I think the problem lies in not when it's the one-off occurrence. Um, it's when it's the, becomes the pattern. And so the nudge can be so helpful for really heading off those ones where it really was probably a one or two off. And now they know that somebody's noticed and they, they, like you said, take the initiative to change the behavior themselves. And that sets it apart from the people where it really is a pattern and there there isn't any self-accountability there. And then you can sit down and have the conversation. Yeah. So so let, let's unpack this a little bit. This is some, this is some theater here, okay? And it's, it's hard for me to coach people because it really is a personal style thing. The mm-hmm. big thing with the nudge is it works the best by far. If you catch it the first time, Sure. The first time the new associate vet shows up 10 minutes late and you say, hey, did you get stuck in traffic this morning? <laughs> They're like, oh, you saw that. And honestly, like that's like that's it. You catch it the first time. Like this is the easiest right. way to do is catch it the first time and just say, saw, saw it. You know, <laughs> hey, you get, hey, what? You're running behind. What happened this morning? And, and, Say it with, if you can pull it off, the real ninjas, right? The real Jedi master does it with a cock smile. 
Mm-hmm. And a glimmer in her eye. You know what I mean? It's like the, <laughs> I'm going to give you a hard time. You know what I mean? Like totally. that's the, re- it's not, it's not, it's not a severe thing. It's not a scary thing. Right. It's the, I'm going to tease you for being late. Right. And in a way you're feeling teased. In another way, you also know that I saw what you did. <laughs> and, and so I have this thing I haven't ever talked about it before. And I don't recommend this for other people. But I will tell you, for me, one of my favorite lines in management is, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> and <laughs> so stupid. As, but uh, so, so I will, so, so, the, so, so let's say you and me are doctors, right? And so, so, so I'm, or say I'm the manager, let's flip roles. You're the associate, but I'm the manager. You come in the first time and I'm like, Steph, what happened this morning? And you're running late. And you go, oh, I had to get my, I had to get my kids, my kids. I had to take my kids to school. To school. Right, Sorry. Yeah. And then, and then let's say you show up five minutes late the next day. I'm going to say, you're going to walk in like, Steph, you're killing me, Smalls. What, what are you doing? You get, get here and let's go. And, and that you're killing me, Smalls. It's a, it's a joke. It's a line from a, from an old comedy movie. Right. Um, and it has the humor that I want, mm-hmm. but the message is still there. You're killing mm-hmm. me, Smalls. Mm-hmm. Let's get here. Mm-hmm. And, and I always lay this out like the plagues in the Bible, where you don't start with the tenth, like right. when, when the Pharaoh will, will not let the Israelites go, God doesn't show up the first day and just level the city. He starts with the first plague, which is this minor annoyance, apparently. You know what I mean? And then he goes up from there. It's the same thing with this. Is you start early, you start with the nudge, and then you move up. And here's the thing, okay? If and when the behavior doesn't change, and you do have that come to Jesus talk, you're like, it's time to really talk about this. Here's, here's the important thing. At that point, we're not talking about you coming in late. Okay? We're talking about the fact that you refuse to change your behavior after having this problem pointed out to you mm-hmm. repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And that's different. Having mm-hmm. a closed-door meeting about the fact you showed up late this morning, that seems ridiculous. That's not a hill to die on mm-hmm. having a closed door meeting because you've been spoken to repeatedly and have not changed your behavior. Mm-hmm. And you say that you're going to be on time and then you're not. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about your truthfulness. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about your willingness to change. Now we're talking about your commitment to the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And suddenly everybody gets like, oh, we're talking about something more serious. Right. Than 10 minutes late. Right. And so that's what I was talking about earlier as far as sort of starting to roll roll your mindset over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And and like you said, you you guys uh for <laughs> you guys are listening and can't see us, but it is an effective tool. Andy Andy said, you know, hey, you're killing me, Smalls. And I immediately turned red and I was thinking like the associate who's just been called out in the middle of the treatment room floor. Like I would blush. I would be like, Oh, okay, yeah, I'm I'm going to fix this problem because it is it is uncomfortable it is but it but it is not it does not feel belittling it does not feel berating it does not feel like someone has sat me down for a closed door meeting because i was late today but it is just as effective of a tool yeah i mean it's like again like this is such a powerful tool is to look at someone to hug them with your eyes, you know, to really, to hug them with your eyes and send a mental message that says, I like you. I enjoy you. 
and don't you're killing me. Don't, yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> and, then, and then let it go. God, if you pull that off, like, isn't that the most amazing? Like, that's real ninja Jedi stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. That's the nudge. Can you cock a smile? Can you tease them? And it's one of those things where you tease them, but there's this little, there's a kernel of truth in, in it, you know, and they, they know that you saw them. And so that, so that's the nice, what do you do Steph? If you're in a practice where this is the established behavior, where this is the norm. And now the nudge doesn't work so much because the vets sure. have been coming in late and all of the vets are coming in late. And this is just how we do things. Now you got a real uphill battle and yeah. generally starting to try to nudge them. I don't find it to be very effective once habit has set in and pattern has set in and the expectations have been set. Do you yeah. agree with that? Yes, a hundred percent. And then, because I think then what, what you're talking about is you're talking about changing the culture and changing culture and practices is hard. It is so hard. It is, um, often an uphill battle all the way, particularly if you're trying to change um, a cultural or a behavioral pattern that has to do, um, and I'm, I'm going to speak to you guys out there who are in practices where you're thinking, God, you guys are talking about my owner doctor. That is the hardest cultural shift that I've ever had to work with in my career because you're not only are you fighting an uphill battle, but you're fighting um, the uphill battle with the person who is supposed to be leading by example. And <laughs> that is a really, really hard thing to do. And so I think where it starts is, is, um, with the definition of team in your culture. Like, what does that mean to your practice, to your, to your group of people? You're there together all day, every day to serve your patients. So what does, what does that, what does team look like to you? Is, do you, does everybody agree that you want to work in an environment where there are some rules that are applicable to everybody across the board? And if so, what are those, what are those hills that you guys as a group want to choose to die on? Or, um, what are the rules? What are the, um, what are the issues? What are the topics that are very important from a values perspective. And this is where I think it's it's so helpful to be able to have values for your team to be able to go back to and say, does does this do are we living up to these values if we continue to have these kind of behaviors be acceptable in in our team environment? Um, but if you don't have values to decide, what are those things that are are important to you? You know, I have I have worked in practices where um, one of the live or die rules was, um, you know, small town conservative practice. You know, nobody could have nobody could have um, dyed hair. Nobody could have tattoos that were visible to clients like that. That was the cultural model. That was a, a live or die rule. That was super, super important. And so um uh, I'll, you, you've called yourself out. I'm going to call myself out here. So, uh, so I was working in the practice and, um, I like to sparkle and I like color in my hair and I had gone in to get my hair done and you could see a lot of the crazy color that normally is hidden underneath. And I went in and I was like, look, this is a, this is a rule. If any of the rest of the team, this is a value that has been established by our practice owners. And it is something that is 
very important and all of us have agreed to it. If anybody else on the team broke this rule, there would be consequences. And so those consequences have to apply to me. And it was, it was accidental. Um, but I told my team, I was like, Hey guys, look, I, I broke the rule and, um, I'm going to, I'm going to write myself up the same, the same as I would, if anybody else, if anybody else I'm broke have rule. a stern conversation with myself, but I, but I did in front of the entire team. And I was like, you guys, I, everybody was like, Oh my God, we're, we love your hair. It's so great. And I was like, thank you so much. And now I'm going to put the cone of shame on myself and I'm going to have the conversation with all of you and acknowledge that this is, this is a rule and, and I broke it. And so I, I, I wrote myself up and here we go. But I, I think that the reason why I felt so strongly about it was because as a team, everybody understood that that was a, that was a rule that we don't break, that it was a value that was important to our practice owners and so I think that's where the cultural conversation has to start um, in terms of trying to fix, trying to fix those little things is to figure out when are the little things not little? When are the little things actually big? What are the things that are really important to you as a team? There's two layers to this for me. The first is talking about core values and what it means to be a team mm-hmm. and that's not a one-time conversation. Mm-hmm. That's not a response. Mm-mm. We're not going to have the conversation about what it means to be a team because Shannon came in with dyed hair. Right. That It's not a response to a behavior. We have a conversation about what our core values are and what it means to be a team on and on and on and on and again and again in small ways, not big, not big meetings, mm-hmm. but those ideas infuse themselves through everything that we do. Sure. Right. Every meeting that we have touches on our core values or mentions what we believe as a practice or what's important to us or why we're here. And that's, that's true culture, right? It's it's not, your mission statement is not something you put up on the wall. Your mission statement is something that you live and you talk about. I don't mean you recite your mission statement. I mean, Mm -hmm. The essence of that statement is what you use to make decisions again Mm -hmm. and again and again. Mm -hmm. So that's the first layer is if you talk about team and culture, a lot of times people will start to realize, hey, I don't want to leave my team in the lurch. Mm -hmm. Hey, I don't want to take off and, you know, and, and do things that they're not allowed to do. They Mm -hmm. would have, you know, they would start to feel, feel some guilt and, and, and also it makes those quick conversations easier about like, Hey, we're a team. We look out for each other. We all need to be here to get the day started. Mm -hmm. The second layer is more targeted and specific. And this is the one that I use as a response to when, you know, someone, you know, has a behavior that needs to be addressed, something like that. Mm -hmm. And this even comes down to setting those rules. So I said, everyone needs to be here to start the day. I don't know that everyone does need to be here to start the day. I mean, I think, We need to decide what happens when we start the day. The big question, this is the second layer, is why? Mm -hmm. We need to talk about why. And there are people who follow rules because the rules are there and that's all I need. There is a rule. (laughs) I'm going to follow it. And there's other people like yours truly who kind of need to know why that rule (laughs) is there before I get real serious about it. Sure. I should not. It's not a virtue. I'm not trying to say that to be cool. I just, that's just how I work is I want to know why. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people want to know why. So 
do the doctors need to be at the clinic at 7 a.m. when the door is open? If you say everybody needs to be there, well, tell me why I need to be there at 7 a.m. when my first appointment is not until 8.30. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a really good reason, you're like, because this is what we believe and this is what we do. Now, now I may not agree with you, but I believe that there is a reason. And sure. I believe that you believe that there is a reason beyond right. it's 7.30 and that's what we said. That's what's written down on this right. piece of paper. Right. And so that why matters. And when I said... Different people can have different jobs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they can be, and they can be treated differently. Well, why are they treated differently? And so when you went to the doctors and you said, guys, there's no cell phones on the floor. And they said, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, we need our cell phones to be able to, uh, you know, to look up drug doses to, you know, to, to pull resources, to get information. They've told you why they need them. The question now is, why do you not want them to be on the floor? And if you say, well, I hear that. I do not want clients to see our people on their phones. Mm -hmm. It looks like I don't care what you're doing. You could mm -hmm. be desperately searching for a drug dose that you need to save a pet's life. It looks like you're goofing off. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when someone, because we've got, we've got a big glass wall between mm -hmm. the waiting room and the treatment room. So our, our clients, when they're waiting, they can see the treatment room. Mm -hmm. And if I'm standing there scrolling on my phone and somebody has right. been waiting for 15 minutes, that's bad. Mm -hmm. And I might be scrolling, doing, you know, exactly what needs to be done so that we can move this day forward. Right. But that's not their impression. And so I may need to have my phone with me. I need maybe to access it quickly, but I know that that window is there and me being on my phone in that treatment room means that I am visible and that's not okay. And so when we talk about cell phone policies with doctors, we say the doctor can have the phone in their pocket. They cannot use it in this room. Mm -hmm. And here's why. Mm -hmm. And I go, oh, I get it. Right. 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 And so the rules are a little different for me than for the technicians, but the rules are enforced and I'm following the rules that they've been laid down. And that would, I would say that that's fair treatment of both of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I think about, uh, so I've had this conversation, the, the original question came in in the form of doctors being late and, and techs not being allowed to be late. And, and I've dealt with this, I think at almost every single clinic that I have been at and what it ultimately comes down to from this team's perspective, as it has been shared with me in each instance is it's not about. It's not about having the different start times. They understand that. Um, and sometimes it takes a little bit of effort to get your team to understand that there are things that support staff needs to do that doesn't involve the doctors and that they don't all have to be there at the same time of the day. But whatever your team's definition of start time is, um, then that's what everybody has to be held accountable to from the for for the doctors. This is like, okay, look, if our um you said, you know, when you come strolling in 10 minutes late, usually it doesn't matter because your team has started the appointment, they've taken the history, they've done all of the things that really take up the first 10 minutes of the appointment. Okay, so if your team has defined that and then you're late beyond that, that's where the problem lies. So I think it's I think it's in um, having the conversation as a group to figure out what the important piece of that is to your team 
and then figuring out do those rules differ at all because they might and there 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 might be um a little bit of a different expectation like you know yeah my team starts at 7:30 and the doctors get there by 8:30 because what the team is doing between 7:30 and 8:30 has no bearing on what the doctor is doing and that's okay but at the end of the day whatever it is that is that start point or that start time, that's how you have to look at then how are we going to hold each other accountable? Just like you said, if the rule is that we don't want clients to see people on their cell phones, then it may be that the doctors have access to their phones. It may be that they're in their pockets, but the rule may be, look, if you need to go look something up, don't do it in the treatment room, step into the doctor's office and use your phone. And that's perfectly acceptable that's perfectly acceptable. It's not breaking the rule. You can do do the do the thing that you need to do. Just do it in a way that isn't isn't breaking the rule. If that if that makes sense. And and to me that that conversation has has always started with the team as a whole and deciding, like I said, what are the hills that we what are the hills that we all agree that we are willing to die on today? What are the things that are really important to us? What are our what are our core values? And going forward from there and really, truly making it a living, breathing thing so that it feels, it feels right. It doesn't feel like there is inequality when you call people to the mat for breaking those rules. Yeah, I agree. So to summarize, as you said, pick your battles. You know, we're, all, we're always going to pick our battles. That's just the reality of where mm-hmm. we are. We need to talk a lot about why. Why do we have the rules that we have? Why do we enforce the rules that we have? Why are these rules important? And so going back to an example I used before, when the doctor says, don't worry about that heartworm test, you can just have the prevention. And the client gushes and tells him how wonderful he is. Mm -hmm. We need to talk to that doctor about why that's not okay, because Mm -hmm. he's been positively reinforcing the other direction. We need to talk about that. And if we don't lay that out and make it clear, people, people don't necessarily see it. So we pick our battles. We talk a lot about why we uh, remember the mention and the nudge. It's easy to say something early on before these things become a pattern, Mm -hmm. before we see shifting baseline behaviors, Mm -hmm. just a quick thing of like, Hey, I saw, (laughs) I saw that you didn't require a heartworm test. Um, what, what happened? Understand what, yeah, what happened? What was, what was the decision process there? Um, and that's it. Not angry, but just, Hey, real quick. I saw that you didn't, that this happened. Uh, mm-hmm. What happened? What's going on? Um, and remember, if we have to continue down this path, ultimately we want to change the conversation from being about the little rules that got broken mm-hmm. to the fact that we have someone who is systematically breaking rules or repeatedly breaking rules mm-hmm. or is not behaving as someone who wants to be part of our team they're mm-hmm. not following our norm yeah and so we have when we have the closed door meeting it's not about being late it's about the fact that this has been pointed out to you repeatedly and you have chosen not to change your behavior and so that that's kind of where this where this whole path goes mm-hmm. yeah and cool. and i think this is a hard one you guys it's it's a really hard one and i and i think it it um the first step is acknowledging that it is happening in all of our practices. <laughs> I think I think we'd both be lying to everybody listening if we said that it isn't happening in practices out there because it's a real hard truth. And the question is, 
what are you going to do about it? How are you going to, how are you going to address the problem? And, and I think it starts with a, the conversation and acknowledging that it's, that it's happening. Right. I, I agree with that. It's, I think we've been pretty transparent this whole time to say, this is, a, this is hard and it happens all the time. There will always be people who will come in late. There will <laughs> always be people who will be a couple minutes late getting back from lunch. A lot of this is sort of choosing your battles and and deciding what the weight of these offenses are. Mm. A lot of it is looking for patterns. Yep. And so I, I just don't I don't know that it will ever be. I don't think it'll ever get to the point where everyone follows the rules all the time. I think that's just part of the reality of practice. So, but this is a battle that we fight. This is one of the constant p- personnel management problems mm-hmm. that just never goes away. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying you're not going to 100% correct it, so let it go. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying right. is fight the battle. Be smart about how you fight the battle. Here's some tools to fight the battle. Realize that the battle will never end. You need to hold your ground. And right. the farther you get ahead where you have more and more people who follow the rules because that's what we do and that's our culture, the easier it is to enforce this. When you come into a culture and nobody follows the rules and everybody cuts corners and ignores protocols, you've really got to start to push to get traction. And it can be a long road. It's worth it. Ultimately, you do hit a tipping point. And I want the norm to be people do what they're supposed to do. Oftentimes the norm is people do, you know, kind of ish what they should do. <laughs> Hashtag truth. Yeah. All right. You got anything else? Nope. That's cool. all I got. Thanks for your time. Guys, we'll yeah. see you later on. Have a good one, guys. And that is our episode for today. Guys, I hope it was helpful. I hope that you learned something that maybe you had a couple of laughs, so you got something new to think about and ponder on as your week progresses if you have a question you would love me and stephanie to roll around and talk through send it over to us shoot us an email our email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com that's podcast at unchartedvet.com we're always happy to go into the mail bag and see if we can help out our colleagues in the field gives me great joy to do that anyway have a wonderful week we'll see you soon bye